Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. To my guest tonight, Naisha Guazido, who is joining me all the way from the UK. I'm sitting in New Zealand. Naisha, welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Mark, for inviting me and taking the time to, to do this with me. Fantastic. Um, so you've been described as a social entrepreneur. Uh, you're a mentor. You're an author. You're a philanthropist. Is, is there anything you're not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a jack of all trades. <laughs> That's very, uh, yeah. It's very, sometimes I really struggle to, uh, you know, as I go about my day, what, is, what role am I taking on at any given time? Uh, you know, I'm I'm also a mother. I'm uh, I'm a grandmother. You know, I'm a sister, and you know what I mean. It's just uh, just so much on at any given time. And you've achieved incredible things, haven't you? And your um and your sort of I call it the four purpose life. Um, what a few things I've read about you. Um, you you started the Vana Trust, um, yeah. which is uh, you set up. Uh, a fostering agency called Banya. Yeah. Um, you, you set up a Ember Therapeutic Children's Home, mm-hmm. uh, which, which so f- phenomenal, um, you know, a- outcomes. Uh, what I read is that it all started with a eight hundred pound redundancy that you received. Yeah. Yeah. Take, a, take, take us back to to tell us about that story. Oh, it was. Um... I was uh, thinking of doing something. My passion is always about helping children. And uh, I was thinking of um, setting up a therapeutic children's home, which was independent of a charity from a charity as a social enterprise. This was 30, 35 years ago. And uh, the word social enterprise didn't even exist. And so I really struggled. But while uh, I was doing some research, I was going looking around. Um, I was doing some one-to-one work with children in care, in the living in um, a really big children's homes, like 100 children, 200 children uh, back then. And I was uh, called in to do one-to-one work with the children. And what came up was that the children didn't want to see me because they said that all oh, Everyone thinks I'm mad. I'm seeing a shrink. They will laugh, you know, some other children will laugh at them when I tend up for my appointment. So I had an aha moment of thinking 100 kids is too big. And uh, also, why can't we have a therapeutic setting where the, the, there's no one child who's picked up the daily living experience of, that, of uh, the children there was therapeutic. So there was no one who was going to be picked on or feel that, they're being picked on or they're not, they're not well. Uh, meanwhile, I was working in Camden uh, 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 d- department and uh, they, they suddenly announced that they needed to um, make uh, people redundant. A lot of people were being redundant. And I was really sitting up in the personnel department, counseling people with their redundancy and making sure they've got, they've got the right packages. And it was such a strange situation to be in. I was supporting these people and being empathetic with them, being made redundant about how sad they were because some of them were, the, the, the job came with their house, where they literally where they lived. Whereas inside myself, I was so happy 
um, to say, oh, I can now, I, I, um, I could have been de deployed within, within uh, Camden and found another job within the department. But I said, I don't want to. I'm definitely going to take, I'm ready to go out there and do my own thing because I'd already done the research. Uh, and I started actually part-time. And because I wanted to do my research, I, I reduced my hours to, to, uh, to part-time. So it was just timing. And because I hadn't been there for long, I've been there for 18 months, um, they said, oh, I only qualify for 800 pounds uh, for my redundancy package. And I said, I'll take it. And that's how it all started. And when I look back, uh, you know, sometimes when you know what you know now, it's actually a disadvantage uh, because I don't think I would have started it because I would have thought I don't have enough money. And when I talk today, I talk to a lot of people, they, they're waiting for this big amount of money. I don't know why they get this figure in their head. Oh, I need 10,000 pounds. I need a million pounds for me to start my business. And I say, what's going to happen if this million ever, you, you never save that money? Um, you've got to start from somewhere. And I literally started with nothing. I used that 800 pounds to uh, design my logo and create my flyers. That was, all of it was gone. And so that gained some further financial help eventually from the Triodos Bank, is that right? Mm -hmm. And what, what, what did it grow? So from small beginnings, what, what, what did it grow to? Um, within... Uh, uh, I started my business in July. I'll never forget the 8th of July. And, uh, what, and what, year, what year was that? 19, uh, oh God, 1992. And uh, by end of December, my turnover, my monthly, uh, in terms of if I had um, done it for 12 months, it would have been a million pounds, equivalent to a million pounds. And uh, uh, it was just incredible because I opened on the 7th of June and by July, and by the 22nd of July, my, my, my home was full. I had six kids uh, from local government. So um, it was just incredible how it all happened. It was just so unfortunate and it was such a, a, a thing which was needed. So that, that's what I'm always advising people. You need to set up something where the, you know there's a demand. Uh, that the, the service you're going to provide is going to be um, of service. Yeah. And uh, uh, so that's why, as I said, I was actually full. I was turning out, turning, turning down the clients because I was actually full. And uh, so it, it just, um, and uh, I can't uh, express enough this, purpose-driven idea. My passion and my purpose in life was to help children. Yeah. And the, uh, the people that came through, my suppliers, the local authority, that was my message. So I was so on point and, and money, I always say money follow. When you're so driven, you're on target, you're so aligned with your purpose in life and your passion, Money followed, and it was never, never to set up my. I, I, I didn't set up my business to make money. I, I set up my business to follow my purpose. 
and, and the, on Naisha, in terms of describe the difference between setting up a charity and and so because it, it wasn't a charity, was it? So you were providing. I was so I was yeah I was providing a a service to the local authority or something which was really needed for working with yeah. children with emotional mm. behavior difficulties who were in the care system, and I could have easily I know for a fact when I went to open a bank account honestly I went to every high street bank and every one of them said this is a charity it's not a business and I said it's not it's not a charity. It, and they said, oh, this is done by local authority, this is done by big, big uh, charities like Salvation Army or Bernardas. It's not done by an individual. And I said, why not? I want to do it. I've got the property. And they all refused to open a bank account because they didn't understand my, my business model. It wouldn't surprise Tell you something, Mark. Today, um, uh, the ba- the banks still don't understand my business model. <laughs> Thirty-four years later, they always taken back. They still don't understand social enterprise. It really, it really. Oh yes, yes, it is a business. And then uh, later on, but this is supposed to be done by charity. Are you a charity? You know, in the middle of your mm. conversation. Mm. And I said, I'm not a charity. Yeah. <laughs> I have a charity. I set up a charity, one I trust. And uh, that is uh, purposely, its objective is to help disadvantaged children in uh, in Africa and in in um, in, in uh, UK. And its, it's objective is, and it's registered as a charity and it's registered with the Charities Commission in, in UK. And I am very, very clear of what's the difference between that and my business? And because it's about being delivering uh, value, so you're changing the young lives, you're, at, you're giving them a sort of therapeutic experience, and then you return in return you're receiving funds. Um, it it's not for profit, but it is an exchange, a value exchange, isn't it? That's probably the difference. Would you say in terms of yes, social that- enterprise? That's the difference. For me, my definition of social enterprise is an, is a, is an enterprise which is a, a sole purpose is to solve a social problem. So you find a social problem you feel passionately about. For me, it's about children in the care system uh, and disadvantaged children. And I create a business around it, which is, um, uh, makes it sustainable. I, pro- I provide a service a quality service in exchange of me, uh, I get paid for it for what it's worth. And I, I, I run my business with that aim. I'm solving a social problem. Great. That's the definition. And it could be an environmental problem. It could be, you know, it could be recycling or so, it could be anything you you feel passionately, which is, is a problem. Uh, in It could be housing, uh, homelessness. It could... It, the, the, what you feel passionately could be could be very diverse, uh, but it's got to be a, a, social, a real social problem, which is affecting people, children, or the environment out there. And yeah, and I've I've heard you or I've read that you described as formidable yet gracious, but very much loved. So that's how <laughs> pe- people described you. Um, you you said determination often gets me in trouble, 
Um, <laughs> you, you, you don't take no for an answer, do you? No, no, no. It's a, it's a sort of um, a dirty word for me. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, but, you know, as I get older, and I'm not 16 anymore, <laughs> sometimes mm. I, I think, God, I should listen more to this nose <laughs> rather mm. than, uh, you know. Uh, and no, for me, it's just um, uh, an opportunity to, to find out why, you know, what, I, what are they saying no to? And um, sometimes they actually say no to because they don't know, uh, they don't understand social enterprise. They don't really quite. Uh, and then I think, oh, that I, 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 it's my job to and to educate them so that they can turn their no into a yes. So I then get really determined that I really need to educate this individual or this institution or this whatever it is, this team to understand what I'm trying to do. And for them to turn their um, their no into yes, it's it's just a, a, a fantastic opportunity. I mean, um, some people get really upset with no, and they actually get quite deflated, and they don't. Uh, they say no, so there's nothing I can do. Uh, yeah. And no, they they don't see any other way. They, I see it as an opportunity. How can I make them say yes? Or am I talking to the, right, the wrong person? So my, uh, maybe I need to go to a decision maker who actually might uh, say no. And so the, when somebody says no, sometimes I ask them, is there anyone else I can talk to? Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking for, I'm, I'm looking for someone else I can talk to, maybe who can understand me, who's maybe already uh, maybe advanced about purpose and fashion, or, or they're actually the, the people who are the decision makers. And you, and you going back um, to because you you were born in Zimbabwe, that's right, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And so what? And you left. Um, what age did you leave to go to the UK? Well, I was about twelve. Yeah. Before Zimbabwe independence. And what what's given you your fire? Is it, is it that journey from you know being quite young and and um, changing cultures and and countries and? No, I think my. My fire, I was born with it. So, uh, I, in terms of my passion for children, when when I was four, you'd, you'd, you'd see me carrying a baby on my back in an African school village. My parents were teachers. My, my uh, parents were very instrumental uh, in who I am today. Um, very motivational, inspirational, not really so, so empowering of me and always saying to me, you were born with you know the you know ten fingers uh, so you, there's nothing you cannot do because you have got all the capacity and I remember my father uh, uh, t- t- talking us all, throughout my life that if a man I don't know it was I think it made such an impact on him when the men flew to the moon and he used to use this say to us if a man can fly to the moon you can. So if it's been done, as far as my father was concerned, you, my child, can do it. And I used to, grow, I grew up with this vision of thank God my father got so much confidence. <laughs> she, yeah. she believes I can fly to the moon. Yeah. And I literally had these images of me flying to the moon. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and uh, Naisha, Naisha, in terms of just um, 
covering off. So you started Imba uh, with you yeah. know with eight hundred pound redundancy, yeah. fantastic. Mm. Um, you you grew that, and then and then did did that lead into Banya? Yes, it was. Yeah. Such a, it's it was a fostering such a... independent fostering agency, and was oh. that focused on Zimbabwe? No, no, no. This is only no, in, in UK. UK. My right. Yeah, all my business. I was born in Zimbabwe. I went to school in UK. I went to university in, in UK. All my business life, I got married in UK. All my business life is uh uh is been in in UK, and the charity which was set up in two thousand was uh is both uh UK and Zimbabwe. That's the link uh with Zimbabwe. The charity, mm. not my business. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the uh, the uh, the uh, children's home I ran it for more than ten years, and uh, the, I had been a foster carer myself before I started the children's home, and so I was always talking to the social workers who placed these children with us. I said, "Why can't you find a foster family for?" Because I I knew foster families exist, and they said, "Oh, because of their background, because of their age, nobody would look after them in their family homes." So one day I just sat in staff meeting with my care with my, my members of staff and I said, can any one of you uh, foster these children? We look after, we, you know, they sh- I don't think they should be really be in a home anymore because they've been here for about two, three years time. They're ready to live in the community like any other child. And four of uh, my staff members put their hand off and that was the, the start of my career, my, 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 my agency. I set it up with the four, four uh, members of my staff. They became my, my first foster carers. And I've never looked back. And then I handed over the children's home because it just became too much running the children's and the, starting a foster care agency as well as doing an MA. In, you know, it was just too much as well as having children. I then had another lot of children. So, um, yeah, it's really, um, if Imba had never um, been, there wouldn't be Banya. Yeah, that was all part of the journey. And and what and what was the, you know, like, what did you learn during that uh, fostering experience? So, um, huge amounts of inspirational people, but also some real damaged souls? Yeah, very, very damaged souls. Uh, the children who came to the children's home, they were so damaged and such, oh, it was just awful hearing their stories. Very sad. But they are my survivors. They're my heroes. I learned a lot from the children and people always find it really difficult to understand. I learned, even today, I'm still running a fostering agent, the fostering agency. The uh, profiles of the children, meeting with them and how they have survived such horrendous, horrendous, you know, form of abuse. Every form of abuse has happened to them. They've left their country. Some of them were boy soldiers uh, in Rwanda, for example. Just horrendous. And I think, how are you alive today? My heart goes out to them every day. And the mo- they're just yeah. beautiful survivors, and they still have a smile on their face. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it must. Um... It must make you cuddle your children that bit, that bit harder, eh? Yes, yes. And how, and the, uh, how many kids have you got? Appreciate, you know, appreciate uh, that uh, 
things can easily go wrong. Mm. And how many children have you got? I've got three children. I've got two grand grand grandsons now. Fantastic. <laughs> they're grown up now. They're no, they're no longer little. <laughs> one one thing that because you you know as I said at the very start you're an author as well so. Um, we have something in common, uh, although I did it only a small part of the Thames pathway because um, you, you walked 183 miles along, yes. along the Thames path. I'm really fascinated to know because, um, you know, having worked for 10 years in Sirencester at the very start of the Thames, uh, where, where did you start? Did you start at the, the um, London end or did you start at the Sirencester? No, I I ended in London. I started at the, uh, the what they Thames had, yeah. where they think the Thames. Uh, there's a lot of debate about where Thames uh, starts, uh, but it just starts in a field. There's no water. There's no. There's absolutely nothing. There's no, uh, some people have done some research and they've marked it that this is where Thames started, and then you start walking about three miles down the road the path in the fields in the rural uh, Britain, uh, you, uh, you you see a paddle, literally a paddle. And then you walk <laughs> and this uh, paddle becomes a little tiny, 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 tiny stream. Honestly, I would say about two inches. That's how it starts. And that is where, that's where I started at the very beginning. Right. Which was just field full of cows. <laughs> and wh- why and walk- why the Thames and why 183 miles? What? Oh, I like I, I love rivers and I like water. Um, I grew up in a landlocked country. My childhood memories have always been around rivers. And uh, so uh, the river was was really important to me. I'm not really bothered about the beach because it's not, it doesn't have a childhood memory, but I do love rivers. And I wanted to be near the water. And I wanted something which was long enough to make it a challenge to walk for two weeks. And um, so I did a recce. I, you know, I went to, to the beginning and to the end before. Uh, so I had some idea what I was getting myself into. I measured it all. And um, this was the, a, a, and I was just coming out of actually not feeling too good. And so I thought, let me give myself a challenge of the, to sort of really, uh, uh, whatever, emphasize and get into my, my, uh, my mental, which was I'm well. So I couldn't do such a challenge without being well. So uh, it was just such a therapeutic journey. Yeah. But at the, at the time, I thought it was going to be a challenge. And the challenge for me was isolation. I, I'm one of seven, and I've never been, I've never really all my life, I've never lived alone. I've never been alone. I'm a third child. So I've always had my family and my siblings. And uh, I don't like being alone. And I thought I was going to do this walk by myself. And that was the challenge, actually. It wasn't actually the distance. And uh, see what it, what it brings up to sort of live outside your uh, comfort zone. And uh, you wouldn't believe it. You've got to be really careful what you wish for. Um, I never walked alone. Great. The whole journey. Yeah. <laughs> I had, uh, my friend said, oh, they'll come, um, the two of them, and, and at least start with me. And they were going to go the next day. They enjoyed it. One of them stayed for three days. One of them stayed forever. And two to, to London. She went back for one day. 
And people from the public heard about me through social media. They joined me. They said, oh, I'm going to be whatever, on terms, whatever. Friends and family, they joined me on the, really, the, the length of, um, so it started with three of us at the beginning. And at the end, I think there were 25. Right. When we reached London, there were 25 people walking with me. And some of them, I, I met them on that walk, and they've continued being friends today with me. Fantastic. And, and it's just incredible. And this year, we just finished a, a walk. Uh, we, since then, we do this every year uh, in June. And this year, because of COVID, we, uh, we couldn't go back to, I wanted to go to Holland to where we finished the walk last year uh, and to continue on this paper track. And because of COVID, we couldn't go. So we thought about why can't people walk wherever they are, including their balconies, including their gardens if they're in quarantine and isolation. And we've had more than 100 walkers walk um, uh, this year. And it's just been incredible. Right. And we, before, before we move to wrapping up, I just want to get a, your take on the future, what that looks like, and for you as a human being, for your um, social enterprise, for your charitable activities, what what would you like to achieve in the short and medium, longer term? Oh, Lord, I've got, um, I always got to the next thing. <laughs> and the next thing for me is to continue uh, fundraising for my charity that's ongoing, that's a big commitment I have for me to make a difference to children's lives in Zimbabwe and in UK. Uh, in Zimbabwe, we pay their school fees up to university level, up to MA, PhD, more like, most likely. And uh, I am setting up a fund for women entrepreneurs in sub-Saharan Africa. So I'm trying to raise, uh, I've got, I think, Touchwood, I have got a fund manager, and I'm trying to set up a fund for 100 million uh, pounds uh, for women entrepreneurs in sub-Saharan Africa. And that is uh, really women-focused with a view to creating jobs. Uh, and uh, I've done my research. Africa is producing about 3 million jobs a, a year and uh, about 7 to 9 million young people age 18 to 40 are coming on the job market. So we find a lot of Africans moving to different countries, coming to Europe, drowning in Northern Africa, trying to get to Europe. It's not political. For me, it's economic uh, migration due to lack of jobs. And uh, I, I want to do a little bit of that to stop some of those people drowning, to stop some of those people uh, moving their country and leaving their families, leaving their environment, so that we can take jobs where they are. Fan young Fantastic. And as um, your dad said, uh, he be he believed in the fact that you could fly to the moon, so that that um, a mammoth amount of money should be more than achievable for you. Um, so I no, <laughs> I, I I wish you all the luck with your endeavours, and um, you know, congratulations on being the awesome social entrepreneur and f founder you've been so far. Thank you for joining Pepsi Podcast, and um, I wish. listening to purposely podcast i hope you like what you're hearing please subscribe and leave a review